Today on Behind the Headlines, we're talking to Monica Scott and Mickey Chikailo about the officer-involved shooting in Grand Rapids, Michigan of Patrick Leoya. As I said, our guests today, Monica and Mickey, and as always, my co-host, Vice President of Content at MLive, John Heiner. Thank you, Eric, for that introduction. I appreciate it very much. And as always, it's good to be back with you on Behind the Headlines. The news, you know, sets its own pace. And uh, while we have our best laid plans as journalists, uh, things happen in our communities and state that force us to react and respond. Um, Anyone who's following the news probably has seen or heard the tragic story of a shooting, another police shooting, this one in Grand Rapids, that involves an officer and a came during a traffic stop. And there's some disturbing and tragic elements to the story. And obviously, too, it's a story that we're going to have to continue to cover at MLive uh, over the arc of the investigation, possible you know, civil or criminal actions, and, and really more because it, it begs us to look into um, issues, social issues, community issues that, that really are relevant across the country right now. So for today's Behind the Headlines, I'd like to take our listeners and readers behind the scenes and talk to some of the journalists who are leading the coverage that is at once very important, but also very sensitive. So our guests today, um, we have two guests. One of them, Mickey Chikailo, is our director of local news for MLive. He oversees our news offices in eight communities across the state. Uh, Thank you for joining us today, Mickey. Thanks for having me, John. And also our news leader in Grand Rapids, one of our two editors in Grand Rapids who leads our local news coverage, Monica Scott. Uh, Good afternoon, Monica. Good afternoon, John. It's good to be with you. Um, I I call this tragic, sobering story. Uh, There's so many elements of this, so many questions uh, why. It's very multifaceted. And then I was hoping to get into some of that today. Um, There's still a lot of unknowns. But first and foremost, for the sake of behind the headlines, I'd like to let our listeners and readers see what goes into um, the decision-making, the deployment of resources, how we present uh, certain news stories, especially ones that are very, very sensitive, perhaps even polarizing in our communities. Um, but just to start it off in, at a very high level, Mickey, could you just kind of recap what's happened in Grand Rapids and between you and Monica, maybe talk a little bit about the background that, that gives this story a little more resonance. Uh, sure. Thanks, John. Uh, for this incident specifically, uh, I can still recall it was just last Monday. We were recording this on Monday afternoon. Uh, Monica sent me a message in our chat system and said, we have a, a police shooting. Um, uh, John Tunison's on his way to the scene. You, you remember that, Monica? Yes. <laughs> Yeah. And, um, and, and in fact, uh, what, one of the issues, and this might seem small in, in hindsight, but the, the issue of using the term officer involved shooting has become a conversation in journalism circles because it's, it's such a vague term that um, we try to avoid it. And it's a best practice to try to avoid it because it doesn't really tell you anything. It, it, it's, a, it's a phrase that law enforcement, it's kind of a uh, phrase they're stuck on using from years past, and and, and I expect they'll modernize uh, their uh, language at some point, hopefully. Um, but long story short, we had a conversation because it's all we had to go on in, in the heat of the moment was, 
you know, that phrase. And we ended up saying a shooting involving an officer. We turned it around. But within an hour, we had a, a fresh headline, uh, John Tunison's story, very directly saying uh, Grand Rapids uh, police officer shoots, kills, man. And, and that's that's where this one started. But I, I think you also wanted us to, to back up a few years and talk about the department and the community as well. John? Yeah, that's correct. I, I, there's some history here. Well, every community has history. Uh, M Live and the, the journalists at the Grand Rapids Press have been reporting about the, the somewhat tenuous relationship between the uh, minority communities of Grand Rapids, especially Black communities, and the Grand Rapids Police Department. Yeah, I, I, I would like Monica to, to chime in here. She's closer to it than me and has deeper history and far deeper history than I do. Uh, the one, though, uh, that comes to my mind. I've been uh, helping to oversee Grand Rapids coverage since 2016. I'm actually based in my, my, my lineage is out of Kalamazoo, but I've been helping in Grand Rapids for about six years now. Uh, in 2017, a group of uh, black mothers came to the uh, city commission and said that their sons had been um, uh, held at gunpoint. They were walking down the sidewalk and a police officer pulled up to them, stopped them from walking and pulled his, just immediately pulled his gun out at them. And uh, long story short, um, th there had been a report of somebody with a gun at a community center nearby and the officer was you know, on his way over there and saw these kids just walking down the street. And it was one of what would become many examples of police and, and Grand Rapids specifically just seemingly pulling their guns out on black folks in particular, but people of color, there've been Hispanic folks as well, uh, pulling their guns out on, on it's particularly youth. Um, but I'll let Monica um, give her perspective on that here as well, because like I say, she's, she's physically in Grand Rapids right now and has been for many years. Yes, and that, that 2018 incident was just a, something that truly uh, kind of galvanized uh, the community of you know people of all races and social economic classes uh, were upset about that situation with those uh, young boys you know the video was you know very sobering in terms of you know you could hear one of the young kids whimpering crying and the, the, the other trying to console him that we didn't do anything wrong it's okay you're not going to be hurt, but clearly fearful. And uh, there was some great reporting of that incident by uh, John Agar talking with the families. But that's just, as Mickey said, as an example, when you, after the video was released um, of this latest shooting, the first thing that you, you heard protesters saying, the, the video was released around three o'clock and by five o'clock, people were starting to gather downtown. And they said, you know, we've been, telling the city commission, we've been telling uh, police officials that we're heading in this direction for something like this to happen because of their concern uh, about incidents like this and questioning the training uh, of officers. Uh, and obviously this is still unfolding, but this is just an example of what's leading up to some of the, some of the comments that are being made by protesters and others uh, about where we are at, at this point with this incident as we continue to investigate and get all of the details surrounding um, this young man's uh, shooting. One of the other uh, incidents that comes to mind was just last year um, where a 
gentleman was pulled out of the car. Uh, black man was pulled out of the car because they thought he was the person that they were looking for. It turns out he wasn't. And there was several uh, complaints made about that. Again, raising questions about training. I know in the past they've talked about de-escalation training uh, for the police department, but you know these are all issues uh, that have come up just in recent years where several of the protesters had discussed that it was building to something that they were afraid would happen like this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, that's just a, a little background. Just, a, just a, I would say those incidents all in the last, you know, three to four years. Right. There, there was an incident, I believe, involving an eleven or twelve-year-old girl. Honestly, that, yeah, that was the one I was going to mention too. Honesty Hodges, she was eleven. Police were looking for some other suspect in the area, and they pulled their gun out on this girl. That, and that was that was just two years ago. She's fourteen. Uh, and, and again, you know, they came to the home and parents were very upset. The guns were drawn and there was a big discussion about, you know, policies and training and what the process should have been for, you know, for this, uh, this kid. I tell you, there's so much that has just in a few years has changed in the way that we as a society and as journalists, I think, approach these stories. Mickey, you even mentioned just even the nomenclature of a police involved shooting. It's we're turning everything inside out and looking at it with fresh eyes, uh, especially since the George Floyd death and the kind of the, uh, the, you know, volcano that set off socially and in social causes um, uh, to look at the use of force by police um, and, you know, the rights of uh, people in the community to gather and protest, uh, and not be seen as, as uh, aggressive to police. I mean, there's all kinds of elements that I think informed. I saw the conversations that were happening about how we were going to cover this. And the word enlightenment comes to mind. Like we've been enlightened by so much, but it also, does that make it more difficult uh, in a newsroom to, uh, you know, predict how these things are going to go, how to get the resources in the right place and to bring sensitivity to what, is very uh, dynamic and quickly evolving story. Uh, I, I just want to yeah, go go ahead, Mark. Yeah. I just want to clarify something real fast. Uh, Honesty was eleven at the time of that, you know, that December twenty seventeen incident. Um, we revisited the issue in uh, a few years later, and because I had said earlier about her being fourteen. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. I also just want to to mention that, you know, people are coming, uh, you know, black and brown people are coming to these protests, along with, you know, people of of all races, but black and brown people in particular, because of a lot of the crime uh, has been and a lot of the incidents have involved people on the south, southeast side of the city and the southwest side of the city. And, you know, that area has you know, historically had a lot more crime. People feel like sometimes they're under siege in terms of the police officers being in their community. Uh, and they're also coming uh, out with a lot of other built-in frustrations. That that area is also, you know, has the highest concentration of black residents, has the lowest amount of public and private investments of the mm-hmm. city's rewards. So, you know, when people are coming out, they're coming out with all of those things in mind in terms of how they feel the community is being uh, approached and perceived. Right. 
Let me let me go back to that question because I want to reframe it a little bit, Mickey. I was kind of wandering there, uh, Mickey and Monica. But mm-hmm. five six years ago, video was not as pervasive, and in this instance, we have four different angles of video. Right? Mm-hmm. We have a, a tenet in journalism not to jump to conclusions or assume things, but it seems like in today's society, it's not even a rush to judgment; it's a rush of information that before can be given context. Uh, if anybody watched the press conference with the police chief, he, I, he kept deferring answers because he said that there hasn't been an investigation. Your eyes tell you something, but you don't know because it has to be investigated. So you know, given that um, context, Mickey and Monica, as news leaders, you know, how do we do our fulfill our obligation to get the information out um, when the real time you know, information is, is flowing at people so quickly. Sure. Well, I mean, video has certainly, um, you know, in the past as a, you know, police reporter and, you know, 25 years ago, fresh out of school and all that stuff, you know, police controlled the narrative, right? Because what happened? Well, unless there's an eyewitness who will talk to you, um, police, you know, were the ones telling the story. And now with video, um, you, you have another set of eyes, so to speak, you know, at a scene and that, that has changed things dramatically, um, in terms of, you know, I mean, to your question about, you know, framing stories as with, with, with such a flood and rush of information coming at you, particularly with social media and, you know, everybody's a publisher now, everybody can say whatever they want, whenever they want on social media. And that's the world we live in. You know, our job as I see it is to get it right and uh, be fair and get the best information we can that will help inform the community, you know, um, uh, in, in a timely fashion, but with, you know, uh, you know, in a timely fashion, mm-hmm. um, that, that creates a, a pretty big pressure in live moments. For example, like when the video was, uh, released just last week when everybody's watching it. And then we, Monica and I are sitting in the newsroom in contact with our photographers and videographers and reporters who are there and making decisions about, you know, publishing that video. How much of that video do we want to publish? What does the story say? Stories, plural, multiple follow-ups as well there. Um, but, you know, to the question of in, in, a, in, a, in a day and age where there's a, a flood of information that's out there, our, our job is to do the best we can to, to uh, you know, bear witness to history and provide a fair and accurate account of what's happening for our community. Yeah, I mean, obviously we want to get the information out you know, as quickly as possible. Everybody was waiting on the video to be released. Um, we had a good plan in place for covering that, but also wanted, you know, you want to get it out fast. You want to make sure that, you know, we've been thoughtful in that consideration. I feel like uh, we were, I felt that the conversation was just ongoing. He talked, you know, Mickey talked about us sitting with Neil as we looked at the video, even getting uh, Senior News League Kelly Frick on the line to talk about, you know, that presentation uh, and the warnings, you know, uh, people mm-hmm. that saw our coverage saw that we were very thoughtful about putting the warnings in there because we know, knew that people were going to see something very disturbing. But as he said, we want to get, we want to make sure that we have an official source for information that is accurate and that we're showing sensitivity, but also 
giving people what they need to know right then. This is, you know, on the heels of George Floyd. Yes, it's shocking and it's disturbing, um, but coming to the conclusion that they needed to see that, but they need to be warned about it. Mm-hmm. Can you expound just a bit? I, I know I've been in these discussions, but for the sake of our listeners, you know, why it'd be five, six, 10 years ago, we might have, the video might've been edited or it may have been stopped or it may have been freeze framed, but we decided to run the full video with the warnings. Can you get into the thinking behind that? Uh, sure. So we talked about that with Kelly Frick uh, in advance, who's our senior director of news. Um, I, you know, a couple of reasons. One is, you know, the community was demanding the release of the video, show us the video, right? Mm-hmm. And we want to see the video. There's such a, a high and not for prurient interests either, but to get a, a, an accurate accounting of what actually happened. Uh, Mr. Leoye's father had been out there for a couple of days giving interviews, including to us, depicting um, what he had seen on the video and please showed it to him. So there were versions out there of what the video showed, you know, you know through, through um, what he and his interpreter said, but the community said, release the video and show it to us. So, you know, um, how police conduct themselves is of uh, utmost interest in our communities. Uh, you have that, you have, there's another element here, which is, um, you know, a mistrust of media to some extent, or at least by some people out there. And uh, not that this is about us, but rather than us edit it or cut it short and say, trust us, we provided the video. We, we wanted to be as, um, I guess, transparent and, and, and we are a vessel for the information versus filtering the information. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like Monica said, with warnings, you know, in, in consultation with Kelly, um, we talked about um, uh, telling people both in the story and in the video at the certain, you know, I think it's the 32 second mark of, you know, where we edit it, you know, at the 32 second mark, the gunshot will go off. We, you know, we, we wanted to warn people multiple times before they got to that point. Um, because the, 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 the public interest in the value of showing that to people themselves, those who wanted and chose to see it um, outweighed interest in editing it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I agreed with that um, that line of thinking, uh, and you, the trust in the media part of this too is through COVID, through January sixth, and uh, what happened in, in Washington. Um, there's a lot of distrust that goes all the way around for for you know what had been mainstream institutions in America, including police and, and the media. Uh, but we still have a we still have a role to play. Anyone who watched the, the video and watched the press conference, I can't imagine didn't walk away with a thousand whys. <laughs> you know, why did the officer do this? Why didn't they do that? How, how could this have been avoided? While we wait for the investigation, what is the next journalistic obligation in your view, uh, Mickey and Monica, for us, the role we play? Monica, do you want to take that? Well, I, I will say that, you know, one of the, as we go through the, the process that they continue to investigate, one of the important stories that I did, I thought we did immediately afterwards was just talking to experts about that, about the, the beginning to the end of that, the track, the initial traffic stop, mm-hmm. you know, the deciding to chase 
someone regarding a traffic offense uh, up into whether he, you know, up into the discussion about him drawing his weapon uh, at the point of uh, being shot. Having experts talk about that, I thought that was one of the, the stories that uh, was very important to, to shed a little light on that. Because people were saying, is that good policy? Is that good policing? Um, as far as going forward, I think, you know, we need to find out more about that traffic stop. I know that they're saying that there's a, uh, that there was improper tags on the car, a mismatch license plates. Um, but there's a lot of discussion, uh, you know, within the community and among, you know, officials about, you know, what led up to even looking at the license plate, what prompted that? Yeah, and I think there's, you know, there's questions about the continue and are heightened um, about the Grand Rapids Police Department as a result of this. I mean, going back to the 2017 incidents and, and since then they brought in consultant studies. In fact, there was a, a traffic stop study in 2017, even before the officer pulled his gun on the on the black youth, the five boys um, that, that found that uh, black folks were twice as likely to get pulled over than white folks in the city of Grand Rapids. Um, so there's that basis. And then since then, with those various incidents over the years, they've brought in consultants and done studies and so forth. But clearly, and I'm no expert and I'm, you know, uh, on this stuff, but clearly something's going on with the, the, uh, with, with, with the culture within the department. And, and perhaps it's not, perhaps it's not unique to, to this particular agency. Um, you know, we can argue about whether he should have been pulled over or not, or whether Mr. Leoye resisted or, you know, should have complied more readily or so forth. But I think we can all agree that he shouldn't have been shot in the back of the head. Um, and the fact that, you know, the gun was even pulled out over, the fact that it escalated to that point is, and to watch that video is, it, it's heartbreaking, frankly. And, and I think, Hard questions need to be asked of, of the Grand Rapids Police Department and what reforms are they committing themselves to? You know, they have a brand new chief. Um, he's been here about a month or six weeks, I think. Um, and, you know, taking it beyond this one horrible incident, but how can, how can uh, they learn from this and, and, and reform themselves, I think, is, are, are some questions to be asked. Well, I mean, they, as Nikki said, that's, you know, those are certainly things to be looking at, as well as the training that has come after each incident. There's, you know, whether it's the incident in 2017, 2018, 2019, 20, uh, yeah. there have been discussions about, you know, their, their training and what, so the trainings that they have implemented, the things that they said that they were going to do, whether it was de-escalation, whether it's reviewing their policies, what actually has changed from when these incidents started to get greater attention? So that's something else to look at in terms of, you know, any new policies and, you know, and buy-in. You know, one of the things I was discussing with Mickey earlier is, you know, the culture, he sp spoke about the culture of the department. And one of the things that, you know, should be looked at is, are they, is there buy-in when you're trying to make changes in a, a reforms in a, a department? You, definitely need buy-in from, you know, you know, the upper command is on down to the foot patrol officers to try to make sure that everyone's on board with trying to 
improve their interactions with the community so that we can avoid incidents like this. And one of my many why and how questions that immediately cropped up was how two years after George Floyd, how, you know, 50 years after the civil rights movement, how that this could happen. And I, I know humans, you get humans in a tense situation and things happen, but uh, that goes to the culture and training questions. Uh, I do know that your teams and your reporters will continue to work this story. One thing I want to ask um, is, you know, like with Rodney King and with the George Floyd trials on Derek Chauvin is like, there's always the outcome of the investigation or the outcome of the trial. And we need to be prepared for whatever reaction occurs um, in the event that people don't get satisfaction from the outcome of this. So, you know, we had, we saw in the wake of the George Floyd death and the, the, the protests that took place, we saw some uh, damage uh, and violence in Grand Rapids and Kalamazoo. How uh, Mickey and Monica, do you prepare your staffs both professionally and emotionally for these kind of stories? Um. If I may, I, you probably hear it in my voice. It's it's draining. <laughs> uh, we, we we went through 2020, and with our staffing, um, uh, uh, you know, we uh, we work in pairs for safety, uh, for the staff safety, and um, you know, monitoring protests that are happening every night, um, you know, becomes a, a, a staffing resource um, challenge that we that we that we work with. Um, and we try to do our best to anticipate, you know, the funeral is Friday and, and, and uh, we will cover the funeral. Um, uh, probably by the time this airs, we'll know whether a protest is planned for Friday night. I fully would expect there would be Friday and Saturday. Um, so so we, we will cover those. Um, we, we, we certainly, you know, um, the city put out a statement this past Friday afternoon uh, uh, without naming the Kid Rock concert or on Saturday or the Griffins hockey game on Friday, but said there are some quote special events happening in our community this weekend, and we hope everybody you know is safe and enjoys themselves. And we had a, a journalistic discussion: Do we do an advanced story, sort of quote setting the stage for what could potentially happen? Mm -hmm. Right, you get a mixture of. Kid Rock fans who um, are going to be tend to lean very pro police and the uh, Black Lives Matter movement. And uh, Monica speak for herself, but she and I and Eric Gertner, the other news leader in Grand Rapids, decided no, let's because the statement didn't really make any news. It was just the city manager trying to you know say mm -hmm. everybody have a good time. So we we were we never want to be part of creating an atmosphere that might make things worse. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. So we decided that we were not going to do a story and that we would cover the protests, which we did, but we don't want to um, become part of the story or in any way heighten tensions right. beyond where they already are because they're plenty high now. So yeah, we definitely want to, we definitely don't want to uh, give the impression that we're uh, trying to fan the flames, uh, mm -hmm. to, you know, by bringing up an issue or suggesting that something is going to happen. The city kind of vaguely imply that in terms of wanting, um, telling people to maintain their calm, assuming that there might be some sort of clash. Um, but I, I think our decision uh, not to do anything in advance of that, but to monitor the spot on. You know, too. I think also it prudent and very journalistically responsible. And also just to, you know, just going back in terms of the reporters, 
covering uh, an issue like this and making sure that there, there's good communication, that people have an opportunity to share what they're feeling uh, as well, and getting proper time to process things uh, as they're uh, going out and covering these events and watching, you know, videos, uh, the, the different angles of the video, but that we're having conversations with people and people, because uh, it's a very emotional story, but making sure that we're in communications, uh, in good communication with our reporters and, uh, and that they understand that they can share what they're feeling about it to us. Yeah, one, one theme that's come up a lot uh, behind the headlines and in the columns I write about um, are that journalists are humans too. <laughs> Um, right. And, and the first responders, in a way, we see a lot of traumatic things. We have feelings and emotions about them. Uh, we have families and kids and we come to work and we, we also are people. But, you know, I think this conversation shows the professional obligations we're all aware of um, and the sensitivity of these things and, and how we want to enable the con conversation with context and, and fact and not get out in front of the story. So. I thank right. you both for your great leadership uh, in the newsrooms and on this story for the sake of uh, the community and our readers. Um, and this is a story that's continued to unfold and we may revisit it again here on Behind the Headlines. So thank you, Mickey Chicago, and thank you, Monica Scott, for joining me today. Thank you. I just, You're think, welcome. I just think that the story is an example of why, you know, good, you know, reliable, accurate journalism is important in our communities. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Thank you. Thank you, John. Big thank you to Monica and Mickey for joining us today. As always, if you like what John and I are doing for the podcast, like, subscribe, and share wherever you get your podcast. Till next week, he is John Heiner. I am Eric Halkren, and this is Behind the Headlines.